0: This podcast is made possible by the generous support of RSM. RSM's purpose is to deliver the power of being understood to their clients, colleagues, and communities through world-class audit, tax, and consulting services focused on middle-market businesses. The business world is evolving rapidly. In this fast-paced environment, RSM understands that you need an advisor who thinks ahead and rapidly responds to your changing needs. At RSM, they build strong relationships based on a deep understanding of what matters most to their clients. Welcome to another episode of the Puget Sound Business Journal's Secrets of the Middle Market podcast. Today, we're talking with Carl Mooring the CEO of Seattle-based Washington Shoe Company. The company is a fourth-generation family-owned business that will celebrate its 130th anniversary this year. When it was founded in downtown Seattle in 1891, the company made boots and shoes for outdoor workers. Those products became especially popular during the Alaska Gold Rush of 1898 as prospectors seeking their fortunes up north outfitted their gear in Seattle before boarding boats for Alaska. A Pioneer Square building just blocks from Lumen Field still bears the name Washington Shoe Company on its side. Today, the company, which has 63 employees, all based in Seattle, is known for its rain boots, especially for kids. The company also still produces hiking boots and other outdoor footwear. Despite the pandemic, Mooring said the company was still able to exceed its budget goals and make 2020 what Mooring called a quote-unquote record year. Washington Shoe Company expected to post a minimum of $46 million in sales for 2020. That represents a 15% growth in sales. How could that be possible with the economy largely frozen by a global pandemic? Mooring, who became CEO five years ago, said it's because most of Washington Shoe Company's retail partners, many of them big box stores, were able to stay open during the pandemic lockdowns because they're deemed essential retailers. Other retailers selling Washington Shoe Company's products have large e-commerce platforms, which have boomed during the pandemic. To connect with customers during the COVID outbreak, Moring and his team set up what they call a virtual showroom where models show off the company's latest products for retail partners and potential wholesale buyers who are viewing via webcam and live stream. The showroom includes a big TV monitor so sales staff can closely watch the reactions of their customers. It's a novel way to connect at a time when traditional trade shows and business meetings haven't been possible and Mooring said the company will likely continue to use the virtual showroom when the pandemic is over. I talked with Mooring about what employees have needed during the pandemic, how the company managed to produce such strong sales results at such a difficult time, and what it's like to work with Amazon as a selling partner. Thanks for being here, Carl. It sounds like March of last year was for your company, like so many others, a pretty terrifying time.
1: Right when you know the the, the shutdowns order came through in uh, March, you know there was, of course, panic in the retail industry. Uh, so yeah, from from our conversations we had internally in March till today is like we're very fortunate that we were able to grow. We, we were expecting, uh, you know, significant uh, steps backwards in our total revenue.
0: And how were you able to do that? How were you able to achieve that growth despite this like once in a lifetime global pandemic tsunami?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it we were somewhat fortunate again because our retail partners, uh, remained open. So the big box retailers, the club channels, uh, the e-com pl- players like Zappos and Amazon and our own direct to consumer sites saw a triple digit
0: growth uh, due to the, the the pandemic. Right. So you've sort of surfed this wave of consumers switch to e-commerce. Was it much of yeah. a pivot for you or was a lot of that already in place as a business model? Yeah, we're-
1: yeah, most of it was actually we were already, you know, strategically, you know, going after those channels or working on those plans. It just accelerated the timeline uh, significantly.
0: How much did you have to shift to e-commerce and emphasize that and make a change versus just saying, okay, we're already plugged in, you know, we're we're ready to rock and roll?
1: Yeah. Um, well, again, some of our planning from last year, one of our key initiatives was we knew we wanted to grow in the e-comm space, which mean we had to enhance our drop ship capabilities, which are at the time our ERP system or, you know, our operating system for basically our internal stuff for our inventory and sales. It wasn't up to speed for that. So we actually implemented during the quiet period, which was, I would say, March to June with the June launch of our new ERP that's fully capable or had more capabilities to do dropship uh, for our retail partners. So we were very fortunate again that we kind of had that already in in the planning process and was already, you know, in, we were in process of that. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess we were very fortunate the timing of everything just worked out because uh, you know, hindsight, it looked like we were brilliant because we we already had that all in place, and we were doing the work in March, April, June. When, you know, our office was shut down, all that work was done remotely, so, so right, we were able.
0: To,
1: you know, uh, any ERP system uh, has you know its challenges. Uh, it, it took a few months to work the kinks out, but uh, you know, we're we finished the year very strong uh, operationally. Uh, where we can fulfill orders, you know, volume much, we can handle a lot more volume and we can turn them around a lot quicker this way.
0: Yeah. What were the moments where you guys had to move really fast, it sounds, what I hear you saying is that a lot of these plants were already in the works and this accelerated what you needed to do. Mm-hmm. Were there any white knuckle moments where where you had to pivot quickly or rush to get into the channels that you needed to to achieve that growth?
1: Yeah, um, you know, probably the the scariest time for us was March, April. We had to make decisions quickly to cut our uh, purchases of product that we had you know, planned for third quarter and fourth quarter. Uh, so we cut all our orders with our China manufacturing you know, partners by at least 20%, uh, which would give us the capability to react quicker as needed if you know, things changed. And you know, we had a, we were in a spot where we wanted to preserve cash. Uh, to weather the storm. So I think, you know, looking back, that was probably the most critical point as we did the reductions in orders. And then as we started seeing the numbers, you know, like or the strength in retail or our retail partners, we were able to start pivoting, you know, in September, we were able to increase orders that, you know, would still hit before like this Thanksgiving. Um, so that 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 was probably the you know darkest times I would say for 2020. I'll also add that one thing that we did do that wasn't planned was during those months of the shutdown. We also realized we weren't going to have we weren't going to go see customers and we weren't going to go to trade shows for, you know, indefinitely. So we actually decided, well, what can we do? And we built out a complete virtual showroom. So we could actually basically bring the trade show virtually all the way to our uh, buyers. You know, I'm very happy with what the team achieved there. We actually were so successful with it. We had to build a secondary virtual showroom because we were booking our, our virtual showrooms. Uh, you know, we needed to, to handle all our, all our, uh, appointments and, uh, the feedback from the, the buyers is, you know, they, they, they throw out things as a game changer uh you know I haven't seen this from anyone else. Uh it's it it's a great replacement from walking a show or you know even an in-person uh, in-person uh, buyer meeting where we have our samples because in our showroom we're able to do close-up shots of the footwear. We even have, uh, you know, we have a uh, footwear models so they can see it on the stage or, you know, worn as well as we use our our, merch, our marketing presentation. It, it really is well adapted for a virtual uh,
0: presentation. Hmm. And tell me more about that virtual showroom. What platform did you build it on and how does it work and what went into getting that up and running?
1: So it can use any platform so meaning like we can use Microsoft teams, we can use zoom because a lot of customers have their own proprietary you know what they want to use for virtual appointments. So that part of it is actually you know pretty basic what took a lot of work is we actually built out the physical space, so we had to build out, uh, you know, uh, a, a studio basically that you know has. A wall with shelving for our product to be seen on we had to build a model stage where they could you know step up and model the footwear we had to get the studio quality lighting. And as well as uh the cameras and the microphones uh, to make sure that it, you know it was a professional looking thing. A lot of our competition out there, we were being told they're still just using like their phone like so it's basically a sales rep you know in at his house or whatever with you know his iPhone which will work but our level of the lighting and we include you know models and we have our digital presentation it just it's it's a, a different level
0: that's fantastic and when you say models do you mean like fashion models
1: yeah in the sense though you know you're really only seeing the knee down and so it's it they just happen to, have to be a size six in uh, footwear
0: so this is this is sort of a production that you put on for interested mm-hmm. wholesalers, um,
1: uh, wholesalers and for, the retailers. So,
0: retailers. yeah. How did you come up with that idea?
1: You know, we were, uh, there were a few of us that were here because we had a, you know, we had to keep the office running. Uh, so there are a few of us were here and we were just brainstorming, like what could we do to bring the trade show to, to the customer? And, uh, you know, I think we saw a couple, you know, emails out there or blogs about people developing showrooms. And we were like, that's a great idea. Let's jump on that. So, uh, we got together a team of us and, uh, we just kind of built it day by day. Like we first were like, Oh, we need a, you know, uh, we need a stage or a, a platform, like a, you know, we need a nice, uh, bar height desk to, you know, have the presenter present from. And then, you know, we, we reached out to our colleagues out in the tech world about like, hey, what what kind of cameras do you recommend? And then we started looking at, uh, you know, studio quality lighting and microphones, and it just all came together, um, you know, as we built it.
0: Was there a lot of expense involved there?
1: You know, not a whole lot. I mean, I, I think the most expensive thing would probably have been, you know, maybe the TV monitor we did, because we we decided we wanted to make sure that it was, you know, sometimes there might be four or five people on the call and we wanna see all the reactions. So on a laptop screen, that's too small. So, you know, we decided let's go big. So we have like a 65 inch, uh, you know, Samsung TV monitor. So we see every buyer almost has life-size face on there. So we can see the reactions. Um, in real time.
0: Where is it physically located?
1: Uh, so we built it here in our office. So what we do is we, you know, we we do COVID protocols. So actually, sometimes we might actually have two account executives on one account. So the, the, the table that they present from actually has a divider that you very, you really can't see on the camera because it's, you know, you're, you're looking straight on at it and it's just a plexiglass sneeze guard kind of shield. So that divides the two there. Um, so when we have a call with our, one of our retail partners, they book the room in advance, they come into the office, the account executives, and then, uh, we coordinate with, uh, one of our footwear models and, uh, we do it still in a safe, you know, socially distanced way.
0: In order for you to put this in place and, and take the effort, the trade show channel must have been super important for you. Uh, mm-hmm. How well has this replaced that and what was the significance of that channel? It, it's
1: always important for us to do the trade show channel for us because, uh, you know, there's always excitement showing the product. You get the retailers all the, you know, you can hit a lot of retailers um, all at once over a couple of days. However we We really like this virtual showroom thing, and we think it will be part of our you know toolkit going forward for a long time because it's more cost effective. We don't have to send you know a dozen people to Vegas for a four day trade show, uh, you know, flights, hotels, a lot you know all that stuff. We can have a call with a buyer and it takes two hours out of our day. Uh, or, you know, that's it. two hours and then you can be at home for dinner. So we really we we really see this as part of the the new future. we We will still do trade shows, but this will this will be a big um, you know part of our future uh, and the cost savings. I mean, we're we that's one thing we're we're enjoying is you know, we usually budget out a couple hundred thousand dollars for these trade shows annually, and there's zero expense right now on those.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. One of the big questions. I think on everybody's mind is presumably we all believe that everybody's going to get this vaccine and life is going to go back to pre-COVID way of being in the world. There's this feeling that some of these ways that we've adapted in terms of using technology, meeting through screens are going to stick. I've talked to a lot of folks who have negotiated mergers and acquisitions, big, big deals, and they haven't had to get on an airplane to do it. There's been some inconvenience involved with that. But overall, this new model is worked. This is sort of another example of that. How much of those trade shows do you think you guys would skip in favor of going in this direction in the future when things go back to normal?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And it's one we're still, you know, we internally debate as we look at, you know, like you said, we're kind of predicting, like I think the world is that, you know, come June, July, things will pretty much start opening up, I guess. But I would say, you know, we'll probably be doing about 60% of what we did previously with trade show spend or trade show participation. I also look at another way it's changed our th- way of working here at Washington Shoe is before COVID hit, we, we were, you know, expanding our work from home because that's one of the things that we saw our employees really liked and wanted. So, you know, we Ending 2019, we were probably doing, I think it was one day a week, we allowed employees to work from home, or maybe it was two days, something like that. I can't recall exactly. And I think in the future, we realize we can be productive, and all the tools that we've bought more laptops for our staff, so they want desktops and all that. I anticipate that our work from home will be almost like a balance, where maybe our staff will probably, on average, be in the office two, three days a week, maybe, and then the rest would be virtual work from home or work from anywhere.
0: And in terms of leading the company through this time, what have you seen in terms of the needs of your employees, as we all navigate this,
1: what I realized through a crisis like this is people want communication. They want transparent communication, and they want it frequently. So you can't over communicate during this time. I think that is what helped us get through this, and our employees get through this. Uh, because I, I think everyone deals with it differently. Some people, you know, some people I think, or there is a real challenge out there. I think with mental wellness right now. Uh, People are juggling things with, you know, they they have to, now they have to be a teacher because their kids are learning, you know, at home or remote, and they have to still, you know, maintain a job. For us, it was, to navigate this, I think it was about communication, also being patient, knowing that not everyone's going to be able to maybe give their all towards their job function, you know, this week, so it was everyone kind of coming together, you know, we're a family business, so we say we treat everyone as an extension of the family. So I have seen that with our employees where, hey, I know so-and-so has, you know, some challenges at home this week, I'm gonna do a little bit more, you know, help cover them. And then down the road, that person will cover for the other person a little bit more. Um, So it's just, we take this as a, a, a real t- team slash family thing to get through. And uh, the team responded very
0: well. In terms of the e-commerce channel, where did you guys push hard to make that transition? What Were there specific retailers that you jumped on board with or expanded significantly with?
1: Um, yeah, honestly, it, it started with our own direct to consumer sites. So we, we have three of our, our, our three brands have their own websites so it it's it's still a small part of our business overall but uh it it doubled this year and we predict it will double again next year so that was probably one of our primary focuses and then of course uh you know we did do significant uh business with you know amazon and we we brought in more inventory to fulfill you know inventory levels that you know we needed for them um as well as Zappos is a you know a strong partner of ours as well which is part of the Amazon family Um, So we just had to look at what inventory buys we had to do to make sure we were continuing to fill those channels that were, you know, seeing large increases.
0: What's it like to work as a a third-party seller with Amazon? What's that experience been for you?
1: Uh, You know, it's a learning, it's constant learning. It's a challenge. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult because there isn't somebody necessarily to talk to sometimes at Amazon. They have category managers uh, that you get to work with, but they have a lot of turnover because they're growing so fast. So sometimes it's difficult because it's almost as if we have to manage it completely on our own. And sometimes it's difficult to get those answers when you need them. But overall, we'd say Amazon's been a great partner of ours. It's kind of like a startup though. Like we always have to, you know, find new ways to innovate because they're changing the way they, or the competition that we compete with on Amazon is changing constantly. So, you know, in our company here, we have our sales division of e-comm, which covers Amazon, we consider that kind of as our uh, innovation or tech hub within the company because they have to be on the bleeding edge of technology.
0: And can you give an example of some of those changes that Amazon has made that have forced you to respond or you, you mentioned sometimes, you know, competitors change the way that they're doing something. What are some examples of those kinds of shifts and, and how you responded to them?
1: Where we see the biggest changes in advertising with, uh, Amazon that has become a much more, uh, or that's a key factor in our business with Amazon, which a couple of years ago, we didn't really do it much with Amazon. Advertising and now we have to, you know, budget that in and we have to just, you know, that's part of the analysis of, you know, how are we are going to make a successful product or offering on Amazon is we have to calculate that a, you know, good portion to get that buyer box or win the buy box is, you know, buy an advertising space. Um, we also expanded, you know, we, we work with SEO, you know, consultants, um, So it's really focusing on that, you know, ranking or page ranking in our categories. And it's a constant, uh, you know, it's a constant challenge.
0: You're not the first person I've heard say that. There's a lot of talk out there about how much more complex it's gotten to navigate Amazon and e-commerce in general, bringing in others who can help with strategies that involve expertise that traditional brick and mortar retailers and manufacturers haven't before had, when did you notice that you really needed to start focusing on those things? And what was the change at Amazon that brought that into stark relief?
1: I would say, you know, we started seeing these changes in late 2018 with the way the marketplace was functioning. And uh, I would say in 2019, there started coming up with these rumblings that if you were a small brand or a smaller brand in overall business with Amazon that they were going to push you out of, uh, they have something called vendor central where, you know, you, it's kind of more of a, you know, classic wholesaler relationship where we sell to Amazon, they would take the inventory in that would be through vendor central and they were going to push most small brands out of that and make it into a seller central account. So that was, causing like shockwaves in my industry in early, uh, late 2018, early 2019. And then I don't know if it was the pandemic or maybe some pushback, but that, that I guess strategy was kind of paused, we feel at Amazon. And, but it alerted us to that. We needed to really focus on owning the buyer box, no matter what the relationship with Amazon was. And uh, that's where we started investing with working with outsiders that had expertise in SEO and, you know, advertising with Amazon and, We built out a larger team here, so it's not just an account executive working with a a retail buyer, It's, it's that, but then we have a digital marketing person, and then we have an inventory analyst and an advertising specialist, all that to manage this account.
0: And that that sounds and correct me if I'm wrong, like that's new expense that wasn't previously in the budget and a substantial expense. Your sales are are up even during COVID, so there's clearly a benefit there. Mm-hmm. But is it is that extra expense paying off? Is it putting a strain on the bottom line?
1: Yeah, we, we are seeing that uh, the bottom line uh, you know is getting squeezed by this. Uh, you know, we are still we're still happy with the growth, but uh, it is it's costing us more to get that growth um, and actually we were we are having you know conversations about that at the leadership level is you know this year will be our our you know uh, greatest year for revenue but for net income you know it's taken a, a step back and then maybe you know matching a year a couple of years ago um, so we're going to focus on that and see you know how can we start increasing margin a little bit, or how can we be more efficient uh, with the resources that we do have?
0: Well, of course there's a a long game view where my understanding when it comes to e-commerce and making these investments, there's the promise that's held out by consultants working in this space that there's a flywheel effect. The investment pays on itself, which pays on itself, pays on itself, and, and the growth becomes potentially exponential. Are you hoping for that? Do you feel like that's a, a realistic scenario? And
1: Yeah, I believe it. I mean, we do have hope in that and that's, that's what we're driving for. And we, we do expect to you know, realize that. But for us, the challenge also is, specifically with Amazon we're speaking, is there is the, I call them like the no brands or no name brands because these companies just pop up and they just create a brand almost overnight and they just try to win the consumer at the lowest price or the most competitive price. Sometimes, you know, people in the business of looking for, a, you know, pair of rain boots might see it as, oh, it's just a commodity. Anyone can make a rain boot, but you know, that's not actually. I mean, that's true, uh, but the quality levels and you know what you get are different. But someone that Amazon or someone shopping for a pair of rain boots for their kids you know, on their phone or with Alexa or something, a rain boots, a rain boot. So for us, that's the challenge is we're building our brand and we're building our reputation with Amazon. But we constantly see these overnight people come in. And a lot of times they are, I would say they're almost uh, categorized as factory direct brands, meaning it's a brand that a factory you know, sometimes our, our partners in China will just launch a brand and then they ship it directly, you know, into the U.S. market through Amazon. So that's one of our competitors that, you know, a real competitive threat that we keep, keep watching.
0: How do you negotiate that? How do you stand out from those those kind of entries into the market? Mm-hmm. What differentiates your rain boot? How do you make that clear to a consumer? As you said, shopping on Alexa, mm-hmm. just Amazon site. Through their phone
1: i mean I, I wish i had the you know the one word answer to that there, there really isn't it's a, a collection of a lot of things so we believe we do uh create the best prints in the rain category so our boots you know have original they're all original prints we uh you know tra- or we copyright them we also uh bring in license partners so we license with disney and warner brothers so that's something that keeps us ahead of the smaller, you know, smaller capitalized brands because, you know, they can't get those partnerships with, you know, Batman or Mickey mouse. So that also elevates our brand. Um, and then, you know, you're talking about the flywheel effect is as you have like maybe the top five SKUs in a category, but you have a hundred options, those a hundred options, of uh, other prints get lifted by those top five SKUs. So it's that. It's also the presentation of our brand page on Amazon. We we spend a lot of time and energy there to, you know, share with the consumer why why our brand is, you know, one to s- seek out. Everything from, you know, the quality to, you know, the print to, um, you know, the, the small business story and that, you know, if they're in the Northwest, you are helping out a, you know, Northwest small business
0: mentioned that sales through your site doubled. What was the discussion in your meeting rooms as you started to see that happen? This massive shift in consumer behavior has been something to behold. And I'm just curious about what you thought as you saw that shift happen.
1: Yeah, as we saw the shift happen is we were really pushing or I was pushing that now is the time to capitalize on this. Like we have to chase inventory. We have to do whatever possible to continue that growth because I feel like it's the opportunity to take market share or get the brand exposure out there. You know, we would have internal debates like, oh, maybe we shouldn't buy that much inventory because what if, if we ended up sitting on it, you know, we kind of took a strategic approach. No, let's continue this as if it's going to be growing at, you know, 120, 130 uh, percent or more. And let's make sure we put key styles there or key buys for styles. And then let's ramp it up. Let, let's make sure we throw gasoline on this growth. So that's where we brought in more consultants or not consultants, but third parties to you know help elevate us where we weren't experts Uh you know, in our own direct-to-consumer site.
0: Did you anticipate that half of your sales would go through your own site at this stage in your business? Um, did you expect to, to see that shift so quickly?
1: No, no, we, I mean, we had aggressive growth plans, um, but we are probably, I would say, we're about a year and a half, two years ahead of our plan based on, you know, the pandemic. 2020 has been a beast of a year for us and for, you know, a uh, Looking back though, it's like, yes, it's been a tough year. Um, but I think we're, I'm grateful because my team, my staff, they've all really came together in this crisis mode or through crisis, you really see, I guess everyone's true character and it's refreshing that they're a great team here. And, uh, everyone is here to support one another. And we're going to exit this year, you know, with high hopes for 21. And,
0: uh, I'm really excited about the future. Thanks, Carl, for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it.